Hello, all you lovely ladies out there. How is everyone doing? I've got yet another super special treat for you today. Elaine, who is one of the case studies in our fabulous book, The Female Investor, is joining me to talk about her story, her property buying, all her experiences, which are numerous and exciting. So stay tuned for all our fabulous content. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to get involved with all things property, finance, investment strategy, and lots more. I'm Kate Hill, the co-author of the book, The Female Investor, creating wealth, security, and freedom through property. I'm an award-winning property mentor, coach, a qualified property investment advisor, and founder of Buyers Agency Advisable. Now, remember, everyone, that this podcast is provided for general information purposes only. It does not replace your finance, tax, legal or finance product advice. You should always seek advice from licensed and trusted professionals. If you want to improve your chances of creating an income for life, this is your place to listen, be inspired and motivated. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. And hello, everyone, and welcome, Elaine, to the Female Investor Podcast. We are thrilled and honoured to have you. Thanks, Kate. I'm very thrilled to be here. It's lovely to see you. And you. Now, obviously, well, not obviously, but we can see each other. Um, Everyone out there cannot. And I have to tell everybody what a wonderful red beanie Elaine is wearing today, because she's in the colder parts of uh, the country. So, Elaine, you and I have known each other for a number of years. You are and you were kind enough to agree to be one of the case studies in our book because I think you're so awesome. You're an inspiration to everyone. And we are here to talk about your kind of your experiences, your story. So do tell us a little bit about you and I guess what kind of motivated you to get into that property investment mindset all those years ago, and go. Okay, cool. (laughs) Thanks for the kind words, Kate. So I grew up in a single parent family for the majority, in fact, all of my childhood. My mum was incredible. And I never went without anything. But I never like there was never a lot of extras to kind Mm. of, you know, to go around in the house. I left school and immediately got a really great job. And it was a job that I could stay in forever. And I'm still in that still with the same company. Mm. And so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do with my money? Because like, holy moly, I've now got money. (laughs) And my grandfather, bless him, had always, I mean, they were also from, you know, quite austere family. And my grandfather always told my grandmother, or my mother rather, to own her own home. Like if she couldn't Mm. do anything else, like it was to own her own home so that nobody could take that away from her. So if things got bad, that that's what, you know, she had her own home. Mm. Anyway, so I had moved to Sydney for work and I was like, okay, right, I don't want to rent and I bought. And I bought, maybe your listeners might think, oh, wow, this is amazing, but I bought in Potts Point, Sydney, <laughs> or Potts Point, the King's Cross and Elizabeth Bay was kind of cool and trendy. This mm. was back in 2020. No, this is like in 2001, yeah. maybe, 2000. And so I was 24. And I bought a 40-square-metre Art Deco apartment that is a bit dark and dingy, but it had wooden floorboards and it was, <laughs> like, 
that's all the bank was going to lend me mm. as a single mm. female and that's all I had for my deposit. You know, in hindsight, yeah, I should have asked my grandparents maybe for 20K so I could have bought a two-bedroom apartment. But anyway, that is what it is. Hindsight's amazing. But nevertheless, that was my first step into the market. And it was really great at the time, actually, because we had, um, that's when you had the first homeowner's grant and yeah. there was kind of nothing really attached to yeah. it. Anyway, so I bought that and I only lived in it for 12 months and I've only ever lived in it for 12 months. Yeah. Again, my circumstances have never warranted that I that I move back into it. I've kept yeah. it and now that I have a, a small kiddo, I will keep it just in case for uni options and stuff mm. like that. Hopefully mm. by the time he goes to uni, I might have paid it off. Anyway, we'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah, so, so that was kind of it. And so I had this grand plan that I was going to buy an investment property every year. I was like, wow, great, I can save this money, you know. Anyway, I think I'd moved to Perth and I was going to buy another apartment. I don't know why I chose apartments, but I did. Mm. I was like, oh, they're easy. I was going to buy an investment apartment around, Indra- is it Indrapilly? I don't know, like in Queensland. Don't, again, don't ask me why I thought mm-hmm. that. Mm. And I engaged a buyer's agent. Thankfully had it paid him. He got sick and that didn't happen. And then I went overseas with the person that I was dating at the time. Mm. I had no money. So said so that because we were over there for two years. So that kind of all fell down. And then I was in a long-term relationship and this person had some financial, was a bit financially scared for, through mistakes of his own mm. parents. And so, like, we stood still. Time stood still for the eight years of that relationship mm. of not making any commitment. Anyway, so, yeah, and then kind of that relationship fell apart and I kind of move on a couple of years and I was like, right, you've got to take bulls by its horns. Like you've wanted to do this. You want to be financially stable. I have a couple of siblings and I wanted to make sure that they, because of I have great super, but I wanted to make sure that they were also taken care of as well as was my mum. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to purchase these and, you know, that that's the way it is. And, yeah, which I'm really grateful for. My kids, my, my kids, my siblings are between 20 and 30, you know, mm stupid job market that exists in Australia is very casual workforce and so I'm really grateful these days that I did do that because in my will there's property mm. that goes to each of those mm. it'll go to my son it'll go mm. to each of those mm. so that they and they know about it that that's their kind of super in mm. you know, when I pass on in however many years time um anyway so that's kind of like my journey and then I bought maybe I know Kate worked with me here. Oh, so I bought an apartment in, in Lars Bay in South Australia. Yeah. Because Lars Bay I thought was a really cool spot and I'd watch the market fly in Perth, right? Like the coastal market around Cottesloe, fly in Perth when I lived there. Mm-hmm. I was like, right, surely Adelaide's got to do the same thing. Anyway, probably has done because I actually sold that property <laughs> last year to buy a principal place of residence. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. And then... After that, a couple of years after that, I was like, right, I sought some professional advice and I purchased four properties in two years and yeah. they were all standalone. That's, sorry, that's four, that's four more after Largs Bay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. at some stage I had six investment properties. Yes, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. where they're located. I mean, there's two in Queensland, mm. one in New South Wales and, mm. yeah, so I did that. Like, I've been pretty lucky and I, I suppose... I like I sought professional advice about those. There's some things that I would change about seeking that professional advice and in hindsight probably wouldn't have sought professional advice from the company that I did. But, again, you only learn that with time. And what mm. I have no 
about is actually mm-hmm. jumping in and going, okay, I'm, I'm jumping in feet first and I'm just going in because it took and it has taken a long time for those pro- So those additional properties. Largs Bay never went up in value, like 20 mm-hmm. grand. I don't think I got my money back when I sold it last year. But it was pretty positively geared. So like and it didn't have a lot of outgoing. So mm-hmm. that was kind of okay. It was a decision. And in, in deciding what I was going to sell, to buy my principal place of residence, I sought different professional advice and that was gold. Yes. Tell me if I'm rambling, Kate. And so... Um, no, we need you to ramble. It's a podcast. Go on. Gold. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So you sold uh, the Largs Bay property. You've bought your principal place of residence, which is where you are now. You still have your Potts Point apartment and you've still got those other four investment properties. Yes. Yes. So during the years that you've held them, I guess tell us a little bit more about your experiences so far. Owning them, generally, has it been good? There's gonna, I mean, there's pros and cons to all of this stuff, right? There's up cycles, there's down cycles. You're going to have repairs, you know, tenants that leave, come and go. So tell us a little bit about your experiences. Yeah, all righty. So I have to say I have been blessed, touch wood, that... My Potts Point apartment has probably caused me the most angst. I mean, it's where it's located. You would expect that. It's a high transient population, you know. Yeah, it is. Yes. All those types of things. And I have to say, like, I'll I'll talk about property managers first, is that Mm. with that apartment, like, I went through and have been through so many property agents and also managers. I was grateful to have one for seven years. Anyway, she was gone and everything went to custard and I wasn't happy I've now got a new person and I have to say I'm not particularly impressed and I will be looking again Mm. to see where I will be going. But, like, on the whole, property managers, like, I've been been very grateful. And, again, that was research and that was talking to people who, through various networks, owned property in the area and knew who I could talk to. And it was also when I was looking at purchasing property, I would call up property managers and say, hey, can you go have a look at this for me? And, you know, they would go look and, you know, at a prospective property, not many that I was looking, you know, I'd narrowed it down to kind yeah, of one or, two yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they would go and look and they'd report back for me because I bought, with the exception of Elizabeth, yeah, Potts Point, I bought all the properties sight unseen. Yeah, I didn't yeah. go actually to look at them. And I bought them through the property managers. And on the whole, all those property managers that did that work for me are still the managing agents yeah. today. They've been outstanding. Mm-hmm. In terms of tenants, I've really only ever had two bad tenants. Hmm. One was in Potts Point and it was an 18-year-old Swiss girl who was funded <laughs> by her parents <laughs> to live in my brand-new renovated apartment, yeah, like yeah. new painted, new bathroom, whatever, <laughs> and never lived out of home. And I have to say, like, she just treated the place appallingly. Mm. Um, so while I knew that her, fa- her family were backing her and could back her to, like, even if I increased the rent exponentially, it didn't matter. Like, it was... She'd never lived mm. at home and oh, had to yeah. spend for herself. Mm. So mm. that was pretty painful. The other one is recently in a property in Perth, somebody abandoned the property, just couldn't pay it and never went back to the mm. extent we had to literally change all the locks mm. and I had to do all the cleaning for the property. But really that's been my only bad experience yeah. with tenants. So in yeah. investing in what, I don't know, 20 years to have yeah. to that's really, I mean, they're the only two that I can really think of. Yeah, and at the end of the day, love, that's not, you know, those aren't earth-shattering, put-you-off-for-life experiences, right? That is, 
really to me uh i think my my experience has been very similar really i think too i've had you know and what most recently a brother and sister in a in a house of mine in southeast queensland who were kind of similar just didn't look after the place there was a little bit of malicious damage but really you know very it was very minor nothing that the bond that they pay didn't cover really right um i had to claim make one insurance claim it was very very minor and these things are going to happen well, right and you absolutely have to be not, not so much open to it but be prepared for it um oh yeah but but there's a difference to between having a few minor repairs and watching neighbors from hell on channel seven or whatever those channels are right which is which literally will put you off for life right so Which that's I, why we have insurances. That's why we have property managers. That's why yeah. we put these risk mitigants in place to lessen the chance of something really bad happening. Yeah, and I don't think that I would ever manage any of my mm. properties, even if no. I was in location by myself. Like, don't do it, anyone. I don't, don't, I don't do really it. get a lot of money, you know, but they're worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. And also, you know, tenants. But also when you have property in multiple states, you know, there are different regulations in WA to South Australia to New South Wales to Queensland. So you need that property manager who's, who's all over the local regulations. If you try to manage that yourself, there, there's a reason they get paid for what they do. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same with insurance. Like I think, like anything, yes. if you can't, if you can't afford the insurance, then you can't afford to have it. Yes. It's like when you travel, you know, like forever, if you can't afford to buy the, the travel insurance, well then perhaps you should think twice about whether or not you need to travel. Um, so, 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 so I've had those bad tenants, but good tenants mm. are really good. And like, without spruiking my own kind of wares, I think I'm a pretty reasonable landlord. Like, mm -hmm. I've declined requests on very few occasions. Like, again, let's go back to Pod's point. Like, I had a recent tenant who wanted to paint it. Now it's an Art Deco kind of sandstone structured building. I've had the same Irish painter since I bought the place. He knows <laughs> how to look after it. Nobody's painting that apartment unless him because of the because it's so old. You know, it's mm -hmm. 90 building and it needs mm. to be painted mm. appropriately and then I think maybe some reticulation in a WA property it's like three or four grand and I was like you know what I don't I don't I don't have this at the moment so therefore I'm not going to repair it it can mm. you know, I can but other than that so I think and again with rent like while I've always tried to keep up with market value I will never increase a rent too extensively unless guided by the real estate, the yep. property manager. Yes, but also if a tenant is great, I'm not going to increase the rent by $10 mm. a week or $5 a week because it's just like if they're a good tenant, they've been there a while, you know, then we can do it the following year, you know. Like I just, mm. a good tenant to me is better than increasing the rent by $5. Maybe others don't do that. And I know, I think I've read it in your book, you know, you have to kind of increase the rent and I have and like that's kind of it. My rents have been very slow to increase on my properties until the last 12 months. And now they've gone yeah. up, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, good 20% um, in the last kind of 12 months. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, like I'm, I'm really happy to increase the rent, but like equally, you know, sometimes you just have to be slow. And again, going back to my pot's point place, like mm. the rent's been at the same rent for like 10 years because yeah. of the types of apartment it is. Very Sydney love, yeah, and that's and, very and, and then it went down because of COVID and now I'm yeah. trying to just recoup it. Mm. And I think like I suppose mm. you do have to go to the market and what kind of with when I'm moving on to rent is that mm. the beginning of COVID I was on maternity leave and the place in Perth, which, you know, I'd bought because it was positively geared. And, yeah. 
in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have bought it. But anyway, it was positively geared. Its rent was amazing. Mm. The rent dropped by 20%, mm. Mm. right? And I was like, oh, God. Anyway, we couldn't find a tenant and all of that type of stuff. And I was only on half pay. And, you know, so life is a little tight. But now it's gone up, would have gone up from that like 30 40%. Yeah. There's, so, it, so it's kind of yeah, like you yeah. just have to, and, mm. and I was engaging really closely with the property manager and I think that's mm. where you just have to take their guidance and do a bit of Agreed. Agreed, love. And, and at the end of the day, I think it's a real balance between keeping a good tenant, being a reasonable landlord, and everyone's going to have their own subjective opinion on this but to me it is that balance between being just a decent human being knowing who your tenant is being reasonable with them especially like you say if they've been good but also keeping up as much as you can with that market rent which is difficult at the moment because rents are going up to such a a high Mm -hmm. degree those increases are substantial at the moment because of those really low vacancy rates that is happening across the country so the reason, obviously, like I say, you want to keep your tenant, you want to be reasonable, decent human being. But what I'm finding as a, you know, I work as a buyer's agent. If I'm trying to buy a property for a client, an investment property that has a sitting tenant, if that rent is significantly under mm, what market yeah, value yeah. should be, it is difficult for my client to get that across the line from a finance perspective, especially in this rising interest rate environment, because their borrowing capacity is less. So if you're not charging market value rent, I can't buy that property off you. So from an investment, you know, and you actually making business decisions, keep that in mind too, which you are, right? Which is why it's sometimes it's better to increase by 5 or $10 a week rather than 50 bucks in one hit, although that is very unusual. That is That doesn't normally happen, right? That's the, 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 that's the environment that we've been in the past 18 months. Normally, it would just creep up by five or 10 bucks. And then maybe when your tenant leaves, then you'll increase it to the new tenants by 20 bucks a week, right? Yeah, that's generally me. So again, you want to talk to, like you are doing, liaise with your property managers about, you know, if my tenants moved out and we got new tenants in, what rent could I get? Okay, versus, okay, but these tenants aren't leaving. Maybe we can increase it by 10 or 15 bucks a week, which they can often afford. If they move out, they're going to have to pay 50 bucks extra somewhere else, right? And they know they're onto a good deal. And I think think the current market, though, Kate, I think the current market is kind of different to what it's been. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know, like I don't think I've, I've put a property at, on mm. like to go for lease where people mm. haven't offered above what the rent mm. has been. Yeah. yeah, but, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I do agree with that in mm. terms of I will always ask a property manager, number one, is this yes. person, should I be extending the lease on this individual by six mm. or 12 months? What do you reckon? Mm. Keeping up with everything. And number mm. two, what do you reckon? Like what's the price increase, you mm. know? Mm. And I've, I've compromised as well, you know, like if I've put yeah. $20 and somebody's like, oh, well, and, you know, what's compromising? But I agree entirely. Yes. yes. So it's that balance, love. So overall, love, would you say, are you glad are you, are you glad you did it? You know, are you glad you've got your property? And, then, you know, from a sort of holistic stepping back from it, are you glad you did it? I'm glad I did it now. If you'd have asked me <laughs> maybe kind of 2020, 2019, before things rose and I was like Mm. always hear this well I don't know if it's still spooked but when I was younger it was always like you know properties they double in like seven years or ten years and I'm like 
okay, I'm waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting, you know, and like, so, yeah. so they haven't, my properties haven't, or with the exception of Fox Point, haven't doubled, but they've done quite well in the last 18 months, two years. So you asking me that now? Yes, absolutely. Mm. If, you know, thinking of women that are listening to this podcast, it's like, yeah. okay, well, you just got to jump in sometimes. And the younger you are for me, I wish I'd have done much more when I was younger because a 30-year loan, if I'd have done it, if I'd have taken out a 30-year loan when I was 25 or mm. 30, would I'd be paying it off. Like it would have been gone by the time I was 60. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, I think you're a bit more mm. flexible before you start having children. I mean, mother one's mm. young, but you just don't know how your life circumstances are going to go. Like you just, whatever partner comes into your life and you think's amazing, yeah. you just don't know if that's reason, season or lifetime. And <laughs> that's probably a bit hard. Um, but you just don't know if that person or people are, you know, reason, season or lifetime. So you kind of have to look at the long-term game for yourself. You I know. Look, Nicola and I talked about this, my co-author, right, a couple of weeks ago where exactly that, you know, when you think as a as a young uh, or young-ish or not even young, as a single woman or as a partnered up woman, not married, do you, you know, do you feel like if you're buying property on your own and if you don't mind me referencing earlier on what you said, you know, you had a long-term partner, you were together for a number of years, you didn't buy property on your own in Elaine's name while you were in that because, you know, your your partner was a little bit hesitant, reluctant. And I hear that a lot. There's often, you know, a, a reluctant other half. So do you then feel like you can't make that move on your own if your partner's not ready or if they're not in a financial position, it can be a tricky, it can be a very tricky subject to navigate, right? But do you then feel, well, I'm going to have to do this on my own anyway, because I don't know if this relationship's going to last, you know, do you then feel like, well, like, you know, what kind of a cynic does that make me? You know, do I not believe in true love and all this sort of thing? But at the end of the day, you do have to look out for yourself and your future and who knows what's going to happen. Like you say, you do. And I how do you have that conversation with yourself and, you know, and I think going back to that that relationship, which is, you know, was a very long-term relationship that I thought yeah. was last for very like for a long time. And we were yeah. looking at buying a house together to live in, was that I wanted to save my money and my deposit mm. that I had saved to put to be able to buy yes. into that property because mm. so that's why I held off because I was like, right, well, I've got this money in the bank, but uh, you know, I don't want to put it on something else because yeah. yeah. Uh, I yeah. to do. And, and, and mm-hmm. luckily I did mm-hmm. put some money into the my my apartment in Potts Point so that, you know, I could <laughs> yeah. draw on that later to purchase other investments. Yeah. But, yes. you know, that was a challenge for me. It was like, oh, well, I, I yeah. need to pony up some of the deposit here so I need to keep some money to be able to. And I suppose it, it really depends mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. you structure the finances in a relationship as well, whether or not. Abso- absolutely. Like, it's a big discussion here about how you do that, but. And how you have a bit of an insurance yes. plan for yourself, but we'll, uh, save, we'll save that for another podcast and another. Cup that's of all coffee. yours, Kate, not mine. <laughs> yeah. but also, but look, also, what is interesting is, like you said, you know, the I don't want to call it baggage because that sounds really negative, but the the life experiences that your partner might bring to the relationship, like you said, you know, that your your partner's family and parents had had, you know, bad experiences, and then that gets passed. Out. So you know, and you might not have had those and are super keen and you kind of feel, 
restricted, you're limited, you know, you, but you want to be caring and supportive of your partner as well, right? So all that woo-woo stuff aside, you're glad you did it. <laughs> I, I, look, I am very glad that, and I've really tried to encourage my siblings to do the same. It's like, yeah. hey, listen, you jump. Like you have to jump mm-hmm. in. Like it's a, it could be a one-bedroom, tiny little apartment, like my place in Potts Point. That's all I could afford. I, you know, tossed up between yeah. that two-bedroom place at Marrickville. Well, probably the Marrickville might have been a better solution. But anyway, who nice. knows? But you know, like I've said that to my mm-hmm. siblings and blessed them both. They've managed to save money and, you know, have now bought their own places. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, before they were yeah under thirty, you know, and they're not. Yeah. They're not amazing, right. but they're, you know, they're in Melbourne mm-hmm. and they've bought something. Mm-hmm. So at least they've kind of done that to know that they at least now have that mm-hmm. safe roof over their head and they're not relying on the rental market. So mm-hmm. my grandfather would be very pleased. <laughs> yes, thank you. All my mother's children. I've <laughs> his advice. Yes. Um, mm. I think, I don't yeah. know, I don't think that I'll be purchasing any more investment properties. I just, like at the moment, I, but, you know, who knows? Like who, who knows? knows? Who knows what circumstances mm. may come by, but but yeah. it's, I, I, like if if you've got time, like I'm about, I've got a, I'm moving from my principal place of residence. I'm heading overseas for work for a couple of years, and I have to lease out my apartment here mm. where I live, mm. and it is beautiful. Like I love this place that I live in, mm. and it's really different to how I am trying to approach. Yeah. <laughs> Property managers and renting out this place, like because yeah. I have done renovations, I will have lived in here for 18 months. It is not my forever home, but it's like I can see me living here for quite a long time. And so I have to kind of again try and take out the emotion and try and be really mm. briefly, right. yeah, but only briefly, right? For as long as you need to. But the key thing is you have it you have the other properties, you know, you've done, and this is why, this is why you're a case study in the book, my love, you know, because you are, to me, you are an inspiration to everyone out there because you've done it. You've gone through ups and downs with it. You're still, despite what you say, you are open to more. I know you are, I can see it in your eyes. (laughs) You never know, but you never know. You never know, right? Well, thank you so much, for your insights, for being so open with us all. It's really appreciated. It's invaluable just, you know, for everyone to hear, you know, from people who've been there and done it. Yeah, thanks. Mm. Thanks. Just jump in, like, and seek advice, seek professional advice. Mm. You know, like that would be my, my obviously is kind of, I suppose, my three key things are just seek professional advice, have a really great team. And I think um, you and Nicola talk about this in your book. You need to have a team. You can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And even I would say even if you are a property manager and all of that type of stuff, that's your job, you still need to outsource it to someone else to take out the emotion and and just research and research. And, you know, if you're not willing to do the research, then pay a buyer's agent, you know, just take out the heartache and get a professional to kind of crack on and do it for you because, you know, I have made mistakes and in hindsight I should have, you know, however much I would have used for a buyer's agent, I would have got back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be that would be kind of my key takeaways. Awesome. Thank you so much, love. We really, really appreciate it. We will let you get on with the, your day and we'll check in with you soon. And uh, good luck overseas when you safe travels. And we'll talk to you again soon, my love. Thank you. Thank you. Right Thanks, Kate. Bye. Bye. 
And that's it for this episode. You can email any questions and comments that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. Don't forget to grab a copy of your book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, go to Amazon, Booktopia, or anywhere that good books are sold. Head to the website at thefemaleinvestor.com.au, where you'll find lots of resources on property, news, tips, and videos. Stay safe and well, everyone. I'll talk to you all again soon and bye for now.